And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go back into the listener mailbag, going over our most optimistic player comparisons for the Sixers' young players, talking about who could potentially be buyers or sellers at the NBA trade deadline, and discussing the impact and the prevalence of injuries in the modern NBA compared to previous eras. One quick note on the podcast, we recorded this a little bit ago as Rich is currently on vacation. Notably, we recorded this before the news came down that Kevin Durant would be returning to the Brooklyn Nets, at least for now. I'm mentioning this because at one point in this podcast, we do mention our expectations that Durant is eventually moved. So I wanted to point that out here uh, that this was recorded before that news broke. With that out of the way, enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined once again by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, uh, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Long time no see. Derek, I'm uh, I'm all warmed up for this podcast. I've uh, been flapping my gums for about 40 <laughs> minutes already. All right, so this is part two of the Mailbag Podcast uh, that we are recording here. A week separation, give Rich a little time away from yours truly. So we will just jump right back into the mailbag here. This one coming from Bert. He says, who do you think will be sellers by the deadline? And that he knows Daryl is going to want to make a trade to upgrade the roster. And he's trying to think who logical trade partners might be. I think you just look at the bad teams, right? I think you you look at the, the teams that are not expected to be all that good. Um, I mean, I could just rattle them off like, in the East, we have Indiana, Orlando. He, he, he brought up Portland. I <clears throat> I don't necessarily disagree with him there. I think an older team like that, who's maybe trying to give it one more go, uh, but probably going to end up being disappointing. I think that's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I think Portland, they might be the 10th best team in the West. I think they're a good team, too, yeah. but... Uh, you know, when you look, it's at always the, tough to be a seller though, when Dame is still there and you're still trying to build around Dame. Yeah. And I mean, I, they upgraded with Jeremy Grant on the wing. I kind of think their roster makes a little bit more sense, but yeah, I, I mean, you look at the, that West is brutal. If the Lakers are any good next year, forget about it. Like the West, like the Pelicans are going to be better. The Timberwolves. I, it was a ridiculous trade, but they're going to win a decent yeah. amount of regular season games. Rudy Gobert. He helps you win regular season games. So, yeah, I think they're a logical one. Uh, who else in the West seem like, I mean, Sacramento. I don't know. It's 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 tough to really say, um, if, especially if because you, we don't really know what the Sixers' needs will be. And, you know, I do think the Sixers have a chance where they could be sneaky buyers at the deadline because I think a lot of these contracts, these sort of like mid-level not actually with the mid-levels, but mid-level range type contracts that they can now aggregate there uh, in a couple of months could make them a little more buyers than you would expect. 
but there is also just the fact that they don't have any draft draft picks to trade. So it's hard to be true buyers. Um, so you're really trying to find that team who's trying to dump a contract, which again is why I could see the Sixers being buyers, but we'll have to see how it plays out. If if you had to pick among the top, so like the, the non-playing in the East, if we assume that the top five and we're obviously like one of these teams could get hurt, it could be, you know, goofy or whatever. If, the top four teams in the East are Sixers, Celtics, Celtics, Heat, Bucks, in sure. in some order. Who are the other two teams you think that uh, rise above the play-in level? Well, I underrate the Raptors every year, so I'm not going to underrate them this year. I'm going to include them in that group. I think they're the clear favorite to yeah. be fifth. Uh, every year, people talk about their demise, and every year they, not that they're contenders every year, but pretty damn close to a lock to win 50 games. Even when you look at their talent and say they shouldn't win 50 games. And I think, I think Scotty could have a, a pretty big second year here. He, his development's going to be the difference between them just being a regular season team yeah. and a playoff team. I think we saw last year, that was a very good regular season team. The shit they did in the playoffs, it just didn't work. Oh, <laughs> it sure. didn't work. So what we're mostly talking about, I guess you could throw the nets in there if they keep Durant. Um, you could throw the Cavs in there. Knicks, you don't know because they could still have a move or two in their offseason to do. Hawks and Bulls are the other ones. Yeah, Haw- Hawks and Bulls. I like. I, I would probably say of that last spot, I think right now, based on the rosters right now, it comes down to the Bulls and the Cavs. I would say. I like Cleveland. Yeah, I, it, that's who I was going to say. In part because I just I expect the Durant trade to eventually happen. The question mark to me is the Knicks and do they get Donovan Mitchell? But even so, I'm not sure if that cracks them into the top six in the East. So you're a little more down on the Hawks then? Yeah. Yeah. I, I put the Hawks below um, the Cavs probably. I might put them below the Bulls too. Yeah. I, I don't think that's, uh, I think that's the, the next close. tier of teams. Close, yeah. yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's weird where I'm kind of looking for a bounce back season from them, but I will say last year, their season was Absolutely disgusting. I thought it was. I was mad can, that can they made the playoffs. Like how and that, like and with all of the swag and the confidence they came unbelievable. in. Oh, we're bored. We're bored. Like Trey calm down. Bored. Calm down, Trey. Calm down. I was mad that they uh, they beat the Cavs to get in the playoffs. Like that Cavs team deserved to be in the playoffs. Yeah, the actual playoffs over yeah. them, and they just took a bunch of injuries at the end of the year. And for that reason, you know. We'll see. I mean, Evan Mobley is going to be a star at some point, but mm-hmm. his offense does need to take another sure. step. And they, they still haven't signed Sexton yet, right? I don't think so, no. No. So that seems like it's pretty bad situation right now. So I, I like Cleveland. I think I would favor Cleveland to be that six seed. All right, moving on to Andrew. Will this upcoming season have the highest championship probability entering it of Joel Embiid's career? So coming into the season, is this the highest championship odds the Sixers have? Sure feels like it. Yeah. Because remember that Jimmy Tobias season, neither of them were on the team starting at at the beginning of the season. Uh, They were both in-season acquisitions. So the way he phrased this question is, I think, very important in answering it. Even so, I think mm, the East is tougher than it was back then. So maybe I think this is the best team, even better than that Jimmy Tobias team. I think the East was tougher then. Might might be. It might be. But Toronto, Milwaukee, and... Yeah, but Toronto I, coming into the season, we didn't expect them to be that good. 
Yeah. Oh, you're saying coming into the season. And I, Milwaukee I'm hadn't when they proven made themselves the yet trade. either. Yeah. Yeah. It's debatable. Um, I do think the Boston-Milwaukee top is tough and a little more proven now than maybe that one was back then. But I, I, it, it's a fair point, Rich. Fair point. Um, no, I think this is, coming into the season, I think this is the team with the best championship odds of Embiid's career. I don't even think it's really all that close. <laughs> Again, though, we could be screwing up because we thought that the 2019-20 team had some pretty high championship That's odds. That's true. With basically, after Kawhi left, only Milwaukee and, and Boston seemingly taking a step back, even though Boston actually was a very good team that year, that they were going to be the two favorites to get out of the East. That didn't happen. There was also the bubble. It was kind of a weird year. If this team does fulfill its destiny, yeah, I, I definitely think it it has the highest odds. It's it's a different NBA though because if you look at the West as well, th- there isn't one juggernaut team. Even last year, I thought the Warriors last year. That's why that was an impressive title because that team had some flaws. That yeah. team definitely had some flaws, but there are a lot of very good teams right now. And I think this is a situation where when you look at legitimate title contenders, usually that only numbers around three or four. Maybe that ends up being the case this year once we see how all of these teams play, but it feels like there's more than that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, and there's also just so much uncertainty too, like teams like in LA, um, where you just don't know what you're going to get out of them coming into the season. I think the Clippers are going to be awesome. I think they should too. Um, you just haven't seen them play basketball in quite a while. Quite same, a while. same thing with the Nuggets. They've got so many pieces that haven't been playing a lot of basketball, but if they put it all together, you could see them elevating beyond what you expect. There's a lot of good teams. There's definitely a lot of good teams. Nuggets should be a lot of fun to watch with Murray back this year. Might have a little trouble at backup center if uh, if they play a certain guy, but we'll see how that goes. We shall see. All right, this one from Michael. For all the Sixers young players, can you give us your most optimistic player comparison? What is the absolute ceiling on all the guys from a player development standpoint. So I'm going to I'm going to interpret this as not being this year's ceiling, but their peak ceiling. Most optimistic. Yeah. So right, I I'll, guess we'll go I'll with Corkmas, Thibel, Maxi, Springer, Milton, Joe, Reed, and Bassey. I'm not going to throw Trevlin Queen in this just because you and I haven't seen him play enough to really give an educated guess. I'll start with the big one because I've already made this one. Tyrese Maxey, Damian Lillard is the most okay. optimistic. What I wrote, and I don't really like player comparisons too much um, because I think people can take them a little bit too literal. I would put him a step below Dame, but I think the other person he gets compared to a lot is Donovan Mitchell. I think he has higher upside than what Mitchell currently is. So I would say somewhere between, and part of that is because I am pretty down relative to, um, or relative to the consensus on Donovan Mitchell. But I think somewhere between Mitchell and Dame, I do think there's just a passing element to the game that I just can't see Maxi developing into at Dame's level. Uh, he could end up being a better defender just because he does move his feet pretty well, even if he is small and undersized. But I think somewhere in between those two is what I would say. Could easily be a better defender than both of those guys. Yeah, well, that's not a that's not a very high bar, but he he does have some of the same limitations. Okay, I win. I was more optimistic than you. All right, so I will. We'll, we'll go on to B-ball, Paul, and this one I thought was pretty easy. Kevin Garnett. <laughs> Maybe I've spent was, a little too much time on Sixers Twitter. I was going to say Tim Duncan, but Tim Duncan was swag. Yeah, 
Tim Duncan with a 50 inch vertical. <laughs> yeah. Have we gotten an update on that? Has he posted like an Instagram of him, him jumping and, and hitting the uh, vertical? I think, I think he has mentioned that he's, he's gained a couple of, of inches on that jump. So, you know, dare to dream. <laughs> I, I don't even really know how to answer that one seriously because he's such a unique player. Um, I, I look, I'll, I'll say this. I don't, not a direct player comparison. I don't think he's a starter. I think he's a backup. Backup big, probably best slotted as a backup five. We've talked about those before, including in the podcast released last week and recorded 20 minutes ago. Because of the shooting, he's probably best as a backup four. I think he is a backup player. Um, I think some of the limitations he has, I would be surprised if he develops enough, both in skill and in recognition and awareness and reaction, to become a... I mean, he could become a spot starter, but a consistent year-after-year starter. I would be surprised if that's his path. He really is such a unique player, and I, I can't. He's. It's almost like the center version of Gary Payton, the the second, not Gary Payton, the the glove, the mitten, where you could play him in these spot minutes, and he has this unique skill set that he could really screw some things up for opposing offenses. But like you said, I because some of the the names that come to mind for me are like. PJ Tucker, but it's like, but he's not going to start. So, and he's, he's also plays a different position than that guy. Um, they might play together this year. You might get to see that, you know, like J Michael green, maybe, uh, you know, somebody like that, a, a small ball center. I, I, as much as I enjoy B-ball Paul, and it seems like there is no limit on his vertical leap. I don't think there's like a ton more developing that's going to be done it's going to be more about refining his game and fitting into a backup role all right uh matisse theibel uh bruce bowen yeah yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean that's bruce bowen, bruce bowen with more top. creative defense yeah with more creative defense like but offensively it just in that this guy provides a ton of value with wing defense and his offense comes down to his feet or cemented into the corner and he makes threes. Yeah. Like stylistically in terms of legitimately playing defense and just shooting, which any kind of upside ceiling talk you have with Thibel includes him learning how to shoot. There's, there is truthfully a little bit of Danny green in there. Um, now Danny green is a 40% three point shooter on volume. Who's real good at getting his own, getting space for his shot and creating space by himself for that shot, not off the dribble, but off of movement. You do have to go back. Danny green wasn't all that good of a shooter percentage wise in his first two years in the league. It took some time for him to develop into that. So if you're talking about the absolute best case scenario for Matisse, it is something like Danny green, including the same limitations of dribbling, but I would, we're talking best uh, reminder on the question here we're talking about the most optimistic player comps i don't think that's very likely and i'm very discouraged by the lack of progress but if we're talking about the most optimistic that's sort of like where my mind goes yeah and Uh, i think danny's probably a better comparison than bowen just in that bruce bowen was more of a one-on-one defender get underneath of you where Matisse is literally impossible to compare to anybody else on defense because he just does yeah. different shit. And that's another thing for him, too. He is very, very unique. Um, very unique in his playmaking ability as a defender. Uh, but I also have very, very 
low confidence in him developing offensively. Just very low. Very, very disappointed with him over the last two years. Jaden Springer. Um, I sort of made this comp coming into the draft, and that was a shorter Josh Richardson. Both good in the fact that I thought he was a pretty good on-ball defender. Bad in the fact that his indecision offensively, indecision with the jumper, sort of dribbling himself into tougher shots than he had at the start. The way that indecision really impacted his offensive game, I saw a comparison with Josh Richardson in there too. The problem is Josh Richardson has developed into a streaky, not entirely reliable, but still capable outside shooter. And I'm not sure I see the confidence in Jaden Springer reaching that path. And also being a, a short, a three inch shorter Josh Richardson is a less effective player by default. So I think it's a less impactful Josh Richardson, but stylistically, I still see a little comparison between the two. Yeah. Jay Rich is a better ball handler. I was going to say Avery Bradley for yeah. him. But he's, he's another a, one who was a pretty good shooter. And I, again, yeah. he, at least the thing with Springer is he's still really young, but I don't even see the decision-making for him to be either of those two players either. Not that, I, that either of those two were great decision-makers. I just sort of like ran it on Josh Richardson, but I have questions about the decision-making aspect of Springer's game. I mean, look, we just spent our last podcast, although I guess when you listen to this, it'll be two podcasts ago, talking about like if we were running the team, he might be a cut. So like talking about a most play, most optimistic player comp here is an odd thing to do because uh, I don't have a ton of confidence in him reaching that. But stylistically, like I said, the sort of like the player that comes to mind is a shorter Josh Richardson. It's look, they're, they're both wildly optimistic because he needs to do a lot of improving to get to the level of, of both those guys and just develop a shot. But yeah, I, I think especially for, for Bradley and me, just as, as a guard who can kind of get under the skin of opposing point guards, like a one, two defender and R- Richardson falls into that category as well. And, and just, you know, a, a spot up shooter on the other end of the court, maybe can dribble into the, the long twos, which Avery Bradley and Josh Richardson both do a lot of that's sort of where I think his best case scenario is. And is still going to take a lot of work for him to do that. Charles Bassey. Hmm. You got I went one? with Kem Birch on this one. Kemper. Oh, I would hope it'd be a little better than that. Look, that's a perfectly playable backup five. And I think that would be, I think I'm probably trying to not go a little overboard here on players who have shown, not that he's shown very little, but I've just played very few minutes. But stylistically, again, it's sort of like what I was thinking. Yeah. So are you going Tim Duncan again? Is that where we're at? I mean, like, eh, maybe like a later later career, Hassan Whiteside, when he's been a backup on team. I mean, he's more of a lob catcher is my... Uh, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Is my way of, of going about that. You know, he's like a, like a JaVale McGee coming off the bench, although he is shorter than both those guys, yep. too. I don't want to, like... I don't want to get that twisted as, as well, but yeah, I mean, Kemp Birch is more of, to me, strikes me as more of kind of a solid, like a uh, you know, little bit better of a post defender than I think Bassie sure. is. But look, I mean, these players do put on weight yeah. in the, uh, in the NBA. I agree with you. I I'm a little more down on him after watching him in the summer league. Unlike Jaden Springer, I am willing to change my mind on him just because I'm not sure the guard play was all that great. Unfortunately, man, Jaden Springer's just, catching strays left and right, but I, I didn't think that was the, the right environment for Bassie to play in. No, I agree. So 
so he's going to have to show a little bit more here. But yeah, a backup lob catching, rim running center is what yeah I think his his ceiling is. But the good news for him is he's closer to that ceiling yeah. than a lot of these players. No, and a fair point on the verticality of of Bassi being a little more than Birch. Um, but just in terms of a career backup big who I have a, a decent amount of confidence in. And look, I think some people are going to look at these and be like, oh, well, you've got Reed and Bassey as backups. But like, I think there's a pretty good chance that they're backups. And that's really yeah. useful, especially for a team that has very limited ways to, you know, to add quality players. Um, I don't just because I don't think everyone's going to develop into being a starter. Like, I still think that's pretty, pretty optimistic and leaves Sixers in a pretty good spot. So we'll go to another. But, and the other thing with Bassey real quick is that. I feel like to get from replacement level to backup it it, at the center position, that's not that hard. Yeah. Whereas from getting from starter to superstar, which is like Embiid and Jokic, that's really really hard because you got to be good at a ton of different shit that most of these guys aren't. So Bassey with his limited skill set, I still think there is some upward growth from, from where he is. I agree. I agree. Uh, And in the same breath here, uh, Isaiah Joe. And again, we just spent a couple podcasts ago talking about whether Isaiah Joe will be cut to trim the roster to 15. Um, but I sort of went with uh, Emmanuel quickly of the Knicks just in terms of, and quickly is certainly a much better player now, but in terms of being able to develop into someone who might be able to um, run off of screens, run a little bit of offense through and be a reliable backup player. Like if everything works out for Isaiah Joe, and again, we're talking about most optimistic player comp. That's sort of like something. And, Obviously, body type and build type uh, similar as well. I guess that's sort of where my mind went. I was thinking earlier. That or career. Richard Hamilton, one of the two. You know, <laughs> he, he'll look like Richard Hamilton in the uh, preseason for sure. Richard Hamilton, if he makes threes, yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually was going to go with an early career Piston. I, I think this guy is a much better player than him, and is probably developed out of what is a realistic skill set. Luke Kennard was the guy I was thinking of where. Like Luke Kennard, when he was on the Pistons, they would just have him run off screens for about 10 minutes a game and see if he got hot. And then if not, take him out of the game, no big deal. Now, for the Sixers, that's not a great thing because those Pistons teams were terrible and they were still trying to guess if Luke Kennard could be playable that night. But obviously, like Luke Kennard has the has the very short T-Rex arms and Isaiah Joe does not quite have that, but the the build is is not great on the defensive end. Very limited player. Somebody who really needs to shoot it at a high level. And I think Luke Kennard's probably a better ball handler than Isaiah Joe, but also somebody who's not doing like a ton of damage inside the arc. Yeah. Yep. Shake Milton. I almost find it hard to have a comp. Like, like my comp for him is he's going to be as good as shake Milton is, you know, like it's not, I know that sounds stupid, but you know, a, a third guard who can play on good teams, like is not, is more of an offensively, focused third guard yeah. he's a weird player too man uh yeah I'm, I'm sorry i'm struggling with the with the comp for him i couldn't i couldn't really think they really one. do have some very unique young players very unique um all right so let's move on to furcon Korkmaz. this one for me was easy in the immortal words of vivek rendive big like clay shoot like steph <laughs> <laughs> yeah that of course is what Vivek said on the documentary when they drafted Nick Stauskas NBA champion or uh, not NBA championship, but NBA finals contestant Nick Stauskas. 
Yeah. Like a bench version of Fournier, maybe. It's kind of where I'm thinking with Cork. Uh, I'm sorry I picked the other white foreign guy as well. <laughs> but it, Cork has this weird game where he just, he kind of floats out there. He's almost like allergic to contact. Not in a, I'm not even just meaning in like get to the free throw line more. He just has a game that is, when he's good, it's just very nonchalant and slippery. And it kind of reminds me of the way Fournier does it, but Fournier has obviously done it much more consistently over yeah. his career. And the shooting has just been much more consistent for Fournier too. And at a really good volume too. Yeah. Um, a lesser version for sure. For sure. All right. I think that's probably all that I have there. Is there anyone we missed? I don't think there's anyone we missed. I think we got them all. And again, those were terrible comparisons. Don't ever remember any of them. I spent very little time thinking about them. That's not what you come to this podcast for. All right. Uh, This one from Stephen Jones. Uh, Do you think the Sixers are one rotation impact wing away from actually being a contender? And he says he's not sure if Thibel and Cork will be enough in the playoffs. I mean, uh, this this goes back to what we have said or kind of how I have looked at the Sixers since the offseason started. How many players do you have that are playable? And right now, I think I see seven and a half right now. So, and, and I mean, it's it's realistically eight because I think Paul Reed can make it in a playoff series in that specific last spot. Is that enough to make it through three rounds? I think if everybody is healthy and everybody fits well, I'm not sure they would need any more, you know, if, if Harden is good. Yeah. But it's certainly the position where I think they have the least on the at the three. If they they had another guy who you could stick in there for ten minutes a game, fifteen minutes a game at the three, doesn't even have to be the top player off the bench. That would be the position I would go get. Yeah. So he, he, here's what I'll say: like, and look, every team in the league, even Boston, would be like, "Yes, we'd love another two way wing." You just mm-hmm. can't have enough of them. That's true for every team, every contender, every pseudo contender, every playoff team, everyone. So if you can get one, great. But I don't think right now the Sixers championship equity is primarily being driven by whether or not they can get a another two-way wing, another playable offensive or playable wing in the playoffs. I think their championship equity is being driven by Embiid, Harden, and Maxi. Whether Maxi takes a step, whether Harden can get back to some semblance of what he was previously, even back in 2019-20. I think that is what will determine whether or not I will bump them up into a being a true contender. They go out and get a another legitimate two-way wing. If Harden's not good enough or if Max doesn't take another jump, I don't think it necessarily matters. Again, would it be helpful? Yeah. If one of those two things happens, then another two-way wing would help them capitalize on it. But I think their equity, what is preventing them, what is preventing me from tell, saying you telling you that they are a true legitimate contender is largely uncertainty over whether or not they have that elite playoff one-on-one or even pick and roll score and whether or not Harding can get back to that or whether Maxi can develop into that. I think that's much more uh, what they need. Yep. That's right. It's also much harder to acquire. So if Maxi doesn't take another jump or if Harden isn't able to get back to what he was, then it's much harder to replace that. Much harder. Well, that's what we're talking about. You know, another two-way wing, somebody who plays, 10 to 15 minutes a game. And that's really all you trust from him. It's probably not a great player. Like it's yeah. probably somebody who yeah. is a, is a placeholder. It's a, uh, I don't know, a Cody Martin or somebody like yep. that, where that look, that guy would help. That guy would certainly help in the regular season. 
would help in the playoffs, but Harden is more important. And also like maybe Thibel gets there. Maybe Thibel can be that guy. He certainly can be that guy in the regular season. So yeah. this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redding. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, here's one, another one from Garrett Jacob. Uh, how aggressive do you think Six will be at the trade deadline? We sort of covered that. This one from Sean Carroll. Is there any truth to the vague feeling that injuries are a bigger part of today's game than in decades past? He says that it seems hard to reconcile with the idea that athletes have more rest and better training than ever. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the statistics to back this up. I don't even know, truthfully, how you would quantify that. Like, because yeah. not only do you have to look at, like, games missed, but you have to, like, separate games missed from injury and games missed from, you know, uh, load management and being cautious. But then also you have to be able to figure out like, well, what games were players previously playing at that they shouldn't have been and were playing at a de playing at a decreased level because they're hurt and playing through it. And I don't even know how you would go about trying to research all of that. Here's what I will say though. My general feeling specifically on what you said, you know, how do you quantify 
games where guys were playing hurt in the past, maybe they shouldn't have been, or they would not be playing now because of what we know. Uh, here's my, my general feeling. And Reddick has been all over this. And I completely agree with him because he's kind of the poster child for it. It's way harder to play in the NBA now aerobically yeah. than it was in the, even in the nineties where, you know, the, the rules, the skill sets of the players, and just the fact that they understand that the three point line is like where games are won and lost what that does, not just to offense, but defense where, uh, yeah, it just makes it a much harder game to play. Now, the, the one thing I, I will say that might tilt this back in a, in a little bit of the 1980s direction, you have these heliocentric players like Luka Doncic and, and Harden and his past. I don't know if playing defense against those guys is all that tiring. Like, yeah, you're going to have to make a, a help rotation at some point. I'm talking about like, Playing against the Golden State Warriors, that's like playing like six games against the team from the 80s. Just is with all the ball and player movement and how scared you are of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson shooting threes. As much as the uh, the conditioning and the um, you know the training staffs do a better job now and science is is better, it's just a harder game to play now. Yeah. And like there's other things that go into this. The fact that the league is refereed harder uh, and the whistles are like there's not as much contact allowed that should theoretically decrease on injuries so that goes into it there's the fact that you're playing with more space and more space can sometimes lead to soft tissue injuries or ankle injuries so that could be a part of it that goes just beyond training um and load management as well and then there's just the unquantifiable stuff of you know how do we determine who was playing injured before i would say that we talk about injuries more than we ever have we talk about everything we, more. That we talk about everything. We just had a, a, a scheduled podcast. Uh, yes, we talk about everything more. But I, I would say that we we scrutinize, I think in decades past, we talked about injuries like they were just some unavoidable part of the game. Whereas now we talk about actively trying to come up with strategies to avoid them. And I think because of that, it might feel like injuries are a bigger part of the game because we talk about it more. And because players sit out more to prevent them. But I would be surprised, and this sort of like goes back to his point about reconciling it. I would be surprised if the injury situation is worse today. If there was all this research and money being spent to, to figure it out and they still came to these conclusions. Like, it just feels like if it was getting worse, somebody else would try something different. This is the most, having your players on court is the most important part of being successful. Uh, I'm sure that they're doing what they're doing for a reason. I, I just think, and you mentioned the the lack of contact that makes playing defense harder. In my opinion, I think you're trading the bumps and bruises from hand checking and some more physicality around the rim to just like running a shit ton yeah. more. And when we talk about physicality, there are two parts of it, of it. I think that the default when all the, the old boomers and all the inside the NBA crew, all these guys say, Oh man, this league is completely soft. Yeah, I, I do think those guys got knocked down a little bit more. And if you looked at their uh, their forearms more after the game, yep. they, they would have more scratches, more bumps and bruises. But these guys are trading it for just running and having to be in better shape, which in a lot of ways is more physicality. So it's a hard one to answer, though. This one from Alex. What is your biggest worry about the Sixers that you feel nobody is talking about? This sort of goes back to the last question where we all talk about everything all the time. So it's a little hard to come up with something nobody is talking about. What is an under-discussed worry about the Sixers? Well, I mean, let's 
let's chip off the the main worries. I think the the biggest worry is how good is Harden, right? That's was was last year a mirage. Is he going to get any better? That would be the biggest worry. I think the other uh, maybe one B in that regard is like is PJ Tucker going to fall off a cliff this year because he's a super important player. He's their biggest acquisition, and they need him to play at a high level. And like I said last week, but only. 45 minutes ago when we were talking, uh, he's like a million years old. So those would be my two. Uh, Doc Rivers gets talked about all the time. So that's not a, no. that's not something that I'm going to sneak by anybody. Um, <laughs> but what else you got? I, I mean, mean, small forward position, like maybe. And, and again, the way that this question is phrased is going to dictate the way that we answer it. So don't fucking murder me for this one. But I think everyone just assumes that Maxi is going to take a massive jump. What if Maxi doesn't? What if he comes out and he has, you know, not a sophomore slump, but a junior slump and the shot doesn't go in like it did. And he's, you know, not able to be as effective off the ball as he was in those couple of months with Harden because his shot isn't going in, which could just not, you know, I think a lot of times we talk about player development. Shot could just go in because he could have a bad luck this season or slightly worse luck this season. And if that happens, is there a, um, is there a adjustment to playing off ball with Harden? I think a lot of, and I am very confident in Tyrese Maxey. So don't like, again, don't, don't misconstrue this one, but I think everyone just assumes a jump. And I think sometimes when you assume a jump, you can get, you can leave yourself open to being burned again, since we're talking about stuff that nobody's talking about, that's, it's not that I feel like it's going to happen, but if I'm going to pick one thing that could happen that <laughs> nobody's talking about, it's that. Well, I mean, that is the definition of nobody's talking about it because if you say a negative word about him, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm getting a, killed right now. I can just see the tweets coming. I'm not even going to release this podcast for a week. So I'll actually add on a little bit with Maxi, but I'm not just going to put it on him. Where if you're talking about winning an NBA title, I guess my general question is can you win with those two pip squeaks as your backcourt defense? Yeah. And it's not just that they're short, they're both pretty bad right now defensively. Can you, can you win with that? And, and the other pipsqueak you're talking about is James Harden, just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. He's a little bit of a little bit of a rounder pipsqueak. But they <laughs> He's uh, a bigger pipsqueak, yeah. But just bad, smaller defensive Defenders, players. Yeah. And look, I, I think when I've written this offseason, this is probably the best team of Joel Embiid's career. Uh, at least entering the season has the best title odds. I like this problem more than the Ben Simmons won't shoot 100%. problem. <laughs> but if we, you know. If we had to pick some nits here and winning a championship's really hard, I think as the Warriors showed last year, you could do it with a flawed team. I mean, they won with Draymond Green basically being a zero on offense. Like they could, they found a way around that. This would be the thing that maybe the Sixers have to find a way to get around because, you know, we talk a lot about hunting spots and picking the right matchup on defense. It's not hard to do that for the Sixers. There are two guys who, I think you could do that pretty easily too. And like we've said, they're going to be on the court in all of the important moments, rightfully so. Yep. No, I think that is a, and again, we're picking the one that nobody is talking about. Doesn't mean that we are down on Tyrus Maxi. It's just shit happens. All right. This one from Joe, what players on other teams are you most excited to watch this upcoming season? My nerdy answer and this is kind of like an under the radar where I'm like, what players on other teams? What am I excited to watch? I'm excited to watch John Moran. I really like watching yeah, John Moran yeah, play basketball, yeah. but my nerdy one, I Evan Mobley, I think it has yeah. a chance to be just awesome. <laughs> has a chance to be the ridiculous. Like the way he plays defense, especially 
because um because he's playing the power forward next to Jared Allen and I think you saw with the Minnesota trade this year that's probably the other team I'm very excited to watch the the two big thing is back and play Boston a little bit with Williams and Horford we're starting to see that a little bit more so I, I would say yeah player Evan Mobley team Timberwolves just because I want to see how that looks yeah no I think Teams doing something different is interesting. Mobley was definitely on my list. My list is pretty much all young players. I like watching players develop. Can Scotty Barnes take that Scotty jump Barnes a as one. a yeah. one-on-one score? And uh, maybe because I think uh, there's a lot of these young players that I think narratives, not they're set, but they're starting to be talked about. Scotty Barnes, can he grow offensively as that one-on-one score? Jalen Green, can he build winning habits? And sort of like that ne- nebulous phrase. Anthony Edwards, just as a player, he made a massive yeah. jump last year. Absolutely. And I'm really interested to see what his upside would be. Uh, and the other one I had written down was Ty- Tyrese Halliburton with the Pacers. Played really well for them after that trade. Might hurt a little bit when Sixers fans hear that. I'm interested to see whether or not that was a mirage or whether or not he can continue to grow into being an impact player like that. Um, those were sort of the four that came to mind right away for me. But it would be littered with mostly young players because I think young player development, when I'm stripping out team context from it, uh, I think that is one of the most important and one of the most interesting aspects of the game. And then also just like as a fan, Morant is obviously one of the ones he's just, we watched him in Philly last year. It was and awesome. It was that was so insane. Cool. Like you and I were just like <laughs> slapping the desk the entire time. Uh, and I truthfully, I enjoy, I still to this day, just enjoy watching the way that golden state plays basketball and it hasn't gotten old after all these years. And I just enjoy watching them play. Um, so those are sort of like my answers. Yeah, and if I mentioned them a little bit earlier on the pod, but in terms of like title equity, I, the Clippers being able to play five out, but with all of their guys is uh, it's pretty scary. I think they, they might be able to do that better than anybody. Yeah. All right, I think that's pretty much just about all that we have. Is there anything else? I'm done? I think you're done. I think we can let you go finish off your vacation, which is doing a little celebration there in Ooh-hoo. the background. Uh, but thank you for taking time out of your vacation to do this stupid podcast. Uh, and we will talk to you not too soon, but pretty soon for the listeners. See you in September, man. <laughs> yeah, take care. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.